bow with me and let's pray. God, I do thank you that you have blessed us as a church, that you've seen fit to um, just to, to, to give us what you've given us. And we're so grateful for that. And God, I pray that as we uh, discern to be very responsible before you and even spirit-led, that God, the things that we've talked about here today, that you would guide us and provide for us, and may we uh, give all glory and honor to you. As we turn to your word now, Father, would you bless us as well, make us happy in your presence, uh, joyful, content, and may our lives find meaning and purpose in what you reveal to us. And we pray this in Christ's name, and we all say together, amen. So I love the story of the father and son driving down the road when all of a sudden the son says to his dad, what's the highest number, dad, that you've ever counted to? And his father said, I don't know, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? And his son said, 5,372. And his dad said, well, why did you stop there? And his son said, church was over. <laughs> We have a little boy in the front seat right now, and uh, you don't need to count to 5,372. We're going we're gonna to do better for you today. Why is it that people tend to think of church that's what, that way? That's what I need you to wrestle with. Because you see, it's not just for kids, is it? There are adults that come to church week in and week out, maybe even our church, and they daydream through the service. They might even doze off a little bit. They, 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 they look up at the ceiling and wonder how we did that during the Compelled by Grace thing. They, they do all these types. Of, you don't need to look up. They, they do all things like that, and, and, and they hardly ever engage or dial in to what we're doing here. Even worse, there are some people that come to church, and you know people like that, maybe even it's you, that do it just to feel good about their lives. They're doing their weekly or monthly or seasonal observance. They're getting it in. They're getting church in so they can check another thing off their list and feel good about what they're doing. I mean, this isn't just for kids. And the question is, why is it this way? Why is it that there are people that treat church in this casual, cavalier, or even see it as some dull, boring, meaningless, but I better do it so God doesn't strike me down type of thing? And though there are many reasons that I think people approach church this way, and some of them, let's be honest, are on the fault of churches, because churches at times are not all that engaging of places, I believe, however, that one of the main reasons that some folks in church find it not all that engaging is because they don't understand the nature and role of worship. I need you to hear that here today. In other words, they don't understand what worship is, why we're gathered, who worship is for, and even some of the intricacies and fineries of why we do worship and how to do worship. In other words, they don't experience the presence of God in worship in church, and as a result, of course it would be dull and meaningless. Of course it would be something you have to get through. Of course it would be something in which you just count to 5,372 because you're not experiencing God. You're not experiencing his presence, and hence, you're not really getting, getting into worship as God wants you to. So I wanna to talk to you today in about the 25 minutes we have left, because we're gonna leave a little time at the end of today to experience worship, to put into practice what we're gonna talk about. So in 25 minutes, I wanna to talk to you about three things. I wanna to talk to you about what worship is, who it's for, and what's holding you and me back. And I think you'll find this very instructive. So let's start very simple and first talk about what worship is. And here is the best 
biblical definition in the most pure way you're ever going to get in worship. And that is that worship, it's not mine, I got this out of a book, the Bible. Worship is an act and attitude of wholeheartedly offering yourself to God. That's what worship is, gang. It's an act and attitude, now here's the key, of wholeheartedly offering yourself to God. Uh, so check this out. In the Old Testament, when the idea of worship was first introduced to humanity, uh, the writers of the Bible used a very common Hebrew word. They used it over 200 times in the Old Testament to describe worship. It was the Hebrew word shaka, uh, shaka. And, and again, used some 200 times. The word shaka literally means to stoop, to bend, or to fall prostrate. It carries with it the idea, watch this, of opening yourself up to someone or something, because you can worship anything or anyone, opening yourself up and literally on bended knee, offering yourself to that person or thing. And that's what the word shaka means. So look at how it's used in Psalm 95, verse 6, in light of God. It says, come, let us worship shaka and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so let's draw close to God and all of who he is, body, mind, and spirit. And so on bended knee in our body, mind, and spirit, let's offer ourselves to him. Please see, it's an openness, an offering of yourself completely and entirely, in this case to God. That's what worship is. And this is why in the New Testament, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he said it this way. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So essentially saying that God is unseen in many ways because he is a spirit, and so you and I need to engage our unseen parts, our soul and our spirit and our bodies in worshiping God, in opening ourselves up to him, in laying our lives before him. That's worship. And notice real quickly that I say, because the Bible says this, that it's an act and an attitude. In other words, worship is not just something you do in your action or with your bodily posture, though it will involve that, but it's also where your heart is and where your mind is. Please see, worship involves all of you. And so here's what I need you to see, guys. Worship is any time, any time, that you and I open ourselves up to God, which is why we meet as a church. But here's the cool thing about worship. It can happen anywhere, anytime, Monday through Saturday in your life. In a sense, church is just practice for the rest of the week. So here's how it works. In the life of the day, in the day of an average worshiper, you might wake up, and before your feet even get out of bed, if any of your initial thoughts toward God are... Here I am, Lord, I'm yours. The Bible says that's worship. You just started the day on a worship note. And then say you're in the shower or brushing your teeth and your sights are still set on him in silent praise or thankfulness. The Bible says that's worship. And then you go down to breakfast. And before you just dive into that bowl of cereal or nowadays that little cup of yogurt, before you do that, you give thanks to God for your breakfast. Say it with me. That's worship. Say it again. That's worship. And then you're driving down the road. And you turn on the radio. And instead of listening to talk radio, you listen to either Christian music or country music because both are godly. And, and, and the reality is, is that the Bible says 
that if you're dialing into God through that, that that is, say it with me, worship. Are, are you starting to get the picture here? It happens anytime you and I dial into God throughout the day. If your heart is surrendered to him, no matter what setting, sacred or not, the Bible says that's worship. It's offering yourself to God. And so you're saying right now, no, no, Jamie, you're making too much of this. No, you're, you're, I like to compartmentalize worship as a Sunday thing and then let me do my thing throughout the week. You can't do that. The Bible says worship is a wholehearted activity that happens whenever you submit yourself to God. So look at how the psalmist put it. Wrestle with this one, Psalm 113.3. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. If you were unable to do that, in your work, driving down your, your car, at a Cardinals game tonight, if, if there were settings where you couldn't do that, why would the Bible tell you to do it? So the reality is you can. And the Bible says whenever you do, that's worship. Maybe look at it this way, guys. You are hardwired in your soul. Every human being is to worship something. All of us open ourselves up at some point in our lives to something or to someone. Everybody does. Mick Jagger does. Howard Stern does. Anybody does. We all open ourselves up to something. And the Bible says whatever you offer yourself wholeheartedly to is worship. So all of us are going to worship something this side of heaven. The Bible simply says that for Christians, make sure that your number one thing or person you worship is God. And every day, each moment of day, open yourselves up to him. And whenever you do, you're in worship mode. Now, once we get this, another very important thing we need to know about worship then that I think now will make sense to you, but it's also going to be a challenge to some of us, is simply this. That worship is for God then, not as much you. And this one is really going to hurt for some of us here today. Uh, look at how Psalm 96 verses 8 through 10 put this, and I think you'll see exactly what I mean. Uh, the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Uh, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Now, let me ask you a question that will forever put this issue to rest. When you see or hear the words of this psalm, who do you get the sense that worship is about or for? It's for God, right? I mean, except for holy attire, which is for another sermon, uh, the reality is, is that there's not much about you and me in this. And when it's talking about worship, it says the Lord, the glory of his name, his courts, the Lord before him, the Lord. It's like a scratch DVD or scratch CD over and over again. It's telling us that it's about God and not us. And so though there are amazing side benefits to worship for you and me, there are. I mean, worship will give us peace. It will give us joy. It places us before God in such a way as to be used by him. I mean, there are definite side benefits to worship. At the end of the day, we have to be careful with that because it's not about us. It's about God and his glory, his creation fully surrendered and fully open to him. That's worship. And the reason that this is so important, gang, is because even in the Christian church in America, we have made worship and even gatherings like this a lot more about us than we have God. 
And the reason I know that is because people come to me all the time and go, I didn't like that song. I didn't like that song, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and we should do this, and we should do that. And I sit there and go, hey, gosh, it makes it almost sound like you think we're doing this for you. Because I got news for you. We're not. We're not doing this for you. We love you, and we want to help you connect with God. But we're gathering here to help you learn what to do throughout the week, and that is to live a life focused on him. The camera's not focused on you. There's a great, great YouTube video that came out this week. Some of you might have caught it. It got 7 million views. And uh, I got it because one of the news sites I go to directed me to it. It was about an Irishman who was visiting Las Vegas recently. And his daughter had given him one of those GoPro cameras on a stick. And she gave it to him so that he could, you know, get all the sights and capture all the sights around Vegas. But not have to go like this, just, you know, show the stick so that he could record the whole trip. The only problem is he wasn't very technologically savvy and he put it on the stick and the whole trip he didn't realize that the camera was pointed the wrong way. <laughs> and his daughter, I think is the one, put, uh, put it all together on a YouTube and it's got all these heads. And it really, really is funny. Look at about a minute and a half of this and you'll see why this is relevant to you and I. Look up here on the screen. Look at that. Review of mountains. That's stunning. And the place is so busy already. Excellent student. Now what direction the Grand Canyon is, I'm not sure. I think it's that way. That's the view looking down. See? And that's there's the Trump Tower, same colour as his hair. There we are. This is the strip that I think this is a microphone. Flamingo. There's the flamingo people. Stay good, baby. I'm the tourist everybody hates. <laughs> You're joking. That's incredible. Well, hey, YouTube is public domain as far as I'm concerned. So, I, golly, can you imagine? I, here's, here's why I wanted you to see that, because the second I saw that, I was less concerned about an Irishman who got the camera back, back, backwards. Uh, you know what I thought of? I, I thought, isn't that the way that so many people just live life, metaphorically? I mean, you know people like that. The camera is always on them. But one of my daughter's favorite lines that she says as a joke is she'll say, you know what, um, well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> because that's the way that so many people function. That's our selfish, narcissistic, me-centered world. We're like a bunch of people walking around, and the GoPro camera is always on us. Amen? And see, the problem is, is that then we drag that into worship. I mean, I, I contend with this gang every week is that our consumer mentality, our me-centered mentality infests this place. And we walk into here and we still think it's all about me. 
This service is designed for me. It better meet my needs. It better be the songs I like. It better scratch where I itch. That sermon better not be boring, or I'm counting to 5,373. Do you see how this all works? Is that if you and I don't get scratched where we itch, then all of a sudden we check out. And again, that might work at the opera. That might work at the Cardinals game. That might work watching TV at home. This is not any of that. We, you and I gather here not to be entertained. We gather here and in Cactus and Mountain Valley and at Venue and, and Chapel in order to focus on an audience of one and to serve an audience of one. And anytime we do anything less, we miss the whole point. I love how Rick Warren said it in his classic book, The Purpose Driven Life, that many of you read years ago. He says that if you find yourself saying after a worship service, well, I didn't get much out of that, or hey, that last song didn't touch me at all, he says, then you missed the whole point. Because it's not about you. It's about God. And whether it's your song or whether you find the service user-friendly or not, whether you even like the sermon or not, in, in, in a real sense, it doesn't matter. Because you still have a choice on whether you're going to make this time a focus on God or not. Years ago in my last church, um, there was a young couple, Ken and Leslie, who sat in the front here. And um, they used to call their dad, Ken's dad, after every service because uh, it was Sunday and just touch base on their family. And his dad lived way out here in the West. And they would just download kind of their whole week and talk about their week. And uh, on one particular Sunday, Ken and Leslie were moved by the sermon, and so they called their dad on the way home from church, and they said, oh, we just heard this greatest sermon, and Jamie said this, and Jamie said that, and he, you know, it was just really awesome, and, 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 and we just thought it was great. And their dad did something that only an old-time Christian dad would even think to do. And it's very subtle, but very powerful. He said to his son, and Ken told me the story later, he said to his son later, he said, you know, um, I, I'd like you to subtly change your practice with Leslie after church. He said, and instead of asking Leslie what she thought of Jamie's sermon, instead of asking Leslie what she thought of the service, I'd like you to start asking your wife, what did God say to you today during the service? What did the Lord say to you today during the sermon? What, what did the Lord speak to your spirit during the worship? He said, because when you frame it like that, it's a lot less about the players on the stage. <laughs> or the songs that you sang, and much more about God and what he did, whether you like the sermon or not, whether you like the songs or not, the focus is on God. Ken shared with me that story later, and Ken was at like 35 at the time, he said, I'd never thought of it that way. But that's exactly the way that you and I need to see church. It's about God. It's not about us. And again, it will bring us benefits. Don't get me wrong. Uh, church and worship brings purpose and meaning to our lives. It, it can give us joy and peace and, and even at times help us be uncomfortable as we wrestle with truth. But at the end of the day, uh, those are all byproducts of worship. Uh, this is really for God. So uh, we now understand what worship is. It's wholeheartedly offering ourselves to God any moment of any day, especially here as we gather. Uh, worship is for God. It's not for us. And then in the brief, brief 10 minutes we have left, I want to share with you three things that I think hold many of us back when it comes to our worship, because we really do need to grow up here, gang. Here's the first thing that holds some of us back, ignorance, ignorance. 
Uh, there's a, a, a neat story in uh, Acts chapter uh, 18 uh, about a guy named Apollos. Apollos was a brand new believer. He was growing in his faith and he was doing so many things well, but not everything well. And God brought this other couple into his life, Priscilla and Aquila. And look at how the story reads. Look at Acts 18, 24 to 26. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And you know what I love about this passage here is that it's telling us that Apollos had a lot of things going for him that would have made him kind of a super Christian today. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching things accurately. But if you notice there, there was one thing that he was really off on, and that was baptism. He, he had probably experienced or seen John the Baptist baptizing, which was a forerunner to Jesus, and he had yet to understand that now we baptize in the name of Jesus when we get saved, when we come to Christ, because that baptism is a sign and symbol of our salvation. And he had not understood that yet. And so Priscilla and Aquila essentially straighten him out. They explain it more accurately to him. And get this, Apollos goes on to become a right hand of the Apostle Paul and do some great things for the kingdom. But notice that he first had to get over his ignorance. God needed him to do that, to be that much more mature. And see, here's the point. I think that there's some of us who are like Apollos today. We go to church, maybe even Bible study. We're in small group. We serve. We, we give generously. We have devotions. I mean, lots of things going for us spiritually. But we're ignorant, now don't miss this, in some other areas of our lives, maybe parenting or marriage or finances or today worship. And you guys all know that if you're firing on six or seven out of eight cylinders, you car guys, give me a head nod, the engine ain't going to run right, right? It's not. And the reality is, is that we have a lot of Christians today running around firing on five, six, or seven cylinders, and we think we're doing great. I mean, it's better than none, right? No. I mean, this engine's designed to go at 300 horsepower. We're getting 140 out of it. And that's why your life is sluggish. That's why you're, you're, you're str by the way, that wasn't in my notes. Isn't this a great illustration to the car thing? <laughs> I want to keep going on it, but I, I got to exercise some discipline. But you guys get the idea here, right? The reality is, is that you and I can't be content with just firing on a few cylinders. We need to fire on all of them. And that's what today is about, is that for some of you today, you finally understand worship. You finally understand what it is. You see it in a new light. You know who it is for. And your only goal now is to no longer use ignorance as an excuse because you're no longer ignorant anymore. Check that one off your list. That's not holding you back any longer. Here's the second thing that holds some of us back, and this one's huge in the church today. Let's call it idleness or laziness. Uh, Proverbs 19.15 is a hard-hitting proverb. It says, laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. And here's the deal. Some of us are starved in our spirit because we have been lazy when it comes to worshiping and giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Amen? It's really true. And you know what I'm talking about here. 
You come to church, you got a lot of things on your mind and heart, lots of places you've been to throughout the week and the list of things going on next week. And when the music starts, tell me if this isn't true, if it's your song, then maybe you're going to move your mouth and engage. But if not, your mind is going to wander, right? You're going to immediately think, well, they really did do a nice job in this sanctuary here. Or, you know, I wonder what's for lunch. I mean, you know, the claim jumper closed a few years ago, and Mimi's is always busy. And so, I mean, your mind immediately starts wandering. And yet, think about it, gang. You're in the presence of Almighty God. You're in His place. Not that there's anything special about bricks and mortar, but where He says where two or three are gathered in His name. Here and at Venue and, and Cactus and Mountain Valley and the chapel, we're in His name. And you're in the presence of holiness. And you're thinking about Mimi's. Because it ain't your song. And it's not the one that you know. And before you know it, you don't mean to. But you know what you're doing? You're engaging in idleness. You're just being lazy about it. Because here's the good news. If you wanted to, you could easily engage God in worship. Who cares if you don't like the song? Who cares if you don't know the song? The words aren't heretical last I looked. They're holy words. And so you mouth them anyways, amen? You sing anyways. You lift yourself up to God. And guess what? Even worst case scenario, say you absolutely hate the song, which I would really encourage you to repent of that one, but say you absolutely hate it, you still offer yourself to God. One of my heroes in worship is a guy named Lee. Back in my last church, Lee was in his mid-80s when I was pastoring there in Cleveland almost a decade ago, and he was a prominent neurosurgeon, obviously retired, been a Christian for a very, very long time, and Lee did two churches every Sunday morning. He would do the famous Parkside Church, Alistair Begg, where he had been going for years at 8 a.m., and then he'd come to my church uh, at about 10 o'clock, uh, and the main reason was, well, a couple reasons, what, but one is that his kids played in the band, and uh, his son was a drummer, his daughter-in-law was one of the singers, and so he came there because his, his kids were going to the church, and his grandkids, and then he really did like my preaching. I mean, I'm not bragging or anything. He just felt, he said, Jamie, I get a lot out of your preaching. I really appreciate it. And Lee always sat on one of the end caps here where Dan is right now, you know, and, 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 and that was his spot. And so I'd always walk right by him when I came into the sanctuary and we usually have a word together. And Lee made it very clear that he did not like the music that we played. We're really blessed here at Scottsdale Bible. I hope you guys know that. I mean, we have multiple styles of music. <laughs> In my last church, we had one style of music. And it was basically rock music. It was praise and, and choruses. And whenever we did a hymn, there's always a guitar lick in the middle of it and all that stuff. And so it was not Lee's style of music at all. And he really didn't like it and he didn't resonate with it. And so some songs he would sing, but if it was like you know, blaring in his face, and by the way, his son was the drummer, so go figure that one out. But if it was blaring in his face, then that really wasn't his thing. One day I walked by him before church was starting and he already had his Bible open. And so I was just making small talk and I said, dude, that is so cool that you got your Bible open already. He said, well, there's a reason. He said, when the music starts, <laughs> I will try to worship God, you know, to the music that we have here. He said, but uh, there's just some of it I can't. And he said, but I would never, ever rob God of the worship I owe him. And so if I can't worship to the music, my head goes down and I begin to read scripture silently to myself so that I can stay focused on the Lord. I walked away with tears in my eyes thinking, who even thinks like that anymore today? Who would be so cognizant of God in their presence 
that even if they couldn't sing the song because it wasn't their song, wouldn't check out, wouldn't get into idleness or laziness, but would say, I'm here to serve an audience of one. See, that, that's what worship is. And it doesn't have to be your song. doesn't even have to be your sermon. But the reality is, don't ever forget, you're not here for Jamie. You're not here for Rick. You're not here for Steve. You're not here for Ray over there. You're not here for Rustin. You're here for God and to connect with him and experience his presence in worship. And you don't want to let anything rob you of that. So you got, you got ignorance, you got idleness, and then a third one, and this one's really going to rock some of you, no pun intended, is inhibition. Inhibition. You can look up the scripture I have for this later. It's John 12, verses 42 and 43. We don't have time for it, but just suffice it to say that there were some people in Jesus' day who really wanted to know him and believe in him, but they were afraid of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going to say. They were Jews who were fearful of man and not enough fearful of God. And because of that, they were afraid to confess Jesus and afraid to worship him. And see, here's the deal. I think there are people today, especially in a refined city like Scottsdale, that come into a place like this, and I hear it all the time, they go, Jamie, I was so moved in the worship service, I was so moved in the sermon, I just wanted to yell, amen! I, I, just, I just wanted to do something, but I didn't. Why? Because we treat this place like an opera half the time, right? I, I mean, we, we have, have rules and strictures and it's church and you got something, and, and we're all inhibited. Again, I'm not going to advocate dancing in the aisles today, just so you guys know. That's not where I'm going. But the reality is, is that I think churches today, and even Scottsdale Bible Church, and we've made a lot of strides over the last 20 years, but I think that many of us need to stop being inhibited. You need to see this as your place to express yourself to God, whatever that might look like. And there's some of you here today who, who I think really do. I mean, you look around sometimes and you see that weird person next to you raising his or her hands in worship. And deep down, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, boy, would I love to do that. <laughs> but, but you see, my, my mom would have never done that. And, and Aunt Tilly would never approve that. And, you know, the guys at work would think I'm crazy and da-da-da. Well, guess what? You're not serving any of them, are you? You're serving God. And again, I'm not asking you to fake it. I mean, I know some people that raise their, I mean, you know, we could be doing announcements and they're raising their hands in worship, you know, and I sit there and go, no, this isn't the time. And so, you know, we're looking for authenticity here. And, and so I'm not asking you to do that. But whatever, uh, whatever's holding some of you back, a real quick story and we'll be done. When I was uh, back in the 90s, uh, I'd been saved about 10 years. And uh, when I got saved, I mean, I was raised in such a refined home. I know it's hard for some of you to see it, but I was, I was raised in an upper middle class home in, in, in Cleveland. And for instance, we, we, we never were allowed to get our own food in my house. My mom always served dinner. And if you wanted seconds, she would get it for you. I never saw the inside of a kitchen growing up. And, uh, and, and, and when my grandma was over, we were not allowed to say I'm full. We had to say in front of grandma, I've had a great sufficiency, thank you. I mean, that's the home that I grew up in. Now, granted, I was in therapy in the 90s for a lot of that, but that is the home that I grew up in. And so as you can imagine, when I came to Christ in 1981, for about a decade, I was clearly a part of what we call the, uh, the, the, the frozen chosen. I mean, as far as the way that I, I lived out my faith. I sat and worshiped like this every week, and I, like some of you, said, boy, I wish I could be a little bit more expressive. I guess I'll just have to get to the Browns game, you know, to do something like that. And then in the 90s, you know what happened? And some of you women might remember this because your men went to it. It's a little movement called Promise Keepers happened. And I can remember going to a football stadium in the 
mid-90s, and I'd be sitting next to an Episcopalian on my right and a Presbyterian on my left, and they made me look expressive, by the way, and I'm, I'm sitting next to them. And all of a sudden, halfway through the worship, this Episcopalian would be raising holy hands in worship, Presbyterian about halfway up, they'd be raising holy hands in worship, and they'd have tears down their faces because they'd be worshiping God. And I remember one of the first times as a Baptist minister, I was sitting there in Promise Keepers, and I'm looking around just, and I'm like, just like that. Halfways, am I going to get struck down? Is it okay? And then eventually, my hands are fully waved in worship, and I'm weeping before God, saying this feels so good just to express myself to you and open up myself to you. And many of us went back to our worship centers, and you know what we did? We blew everybody away. We started doing this in Presbyterian churches and in, in Episcopalian churches and in, in Baptist churches. They'd already doing it, but you get the idea. We were doing that. And it was a moment in time. And again, I, I'm not asking every one of you to raise hands in worship. That's just an example. Maybe that isn't you. I've seen people with arms like this in worship with tears down their face, and I know they're connecting with God. I know they're expressed. So I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this about a bodily posture. What I'm saying is whatever it means for you, Please, please, please know that this is your place for you to worship your God, and you do not need to be inhibited in this place. We are here to be authentic before God. And if we think you're getting online, we might let you know. But the reality is, I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem is the opposite of that. And some of us need to get beyond that. So what worship is? It's an act and attitude of wholeheartedly offering yourself to God. Don't ever forget that, gang every moment of every day. Who is worship for? Say it with me. God. And what's holding us back? Ignorance, idleness, inhibition, hopefully no longer. So here's what we're going to do. We're a little bit over time, but we're going to be okay. Um, we've planned a couple of songs during our monthly elders fund offering. We're going to take up our elder fund offering here and in our other venues and, and congregations. And uh, during the elder fund offering, which goes to those in need, we're going to sing, at least here, not one, but two songs. And the reason we're going to do that is we want to give you a chance to experience God in worship. If ever you offered yourself to God in worship here and at our other venues and places, let's do so now. So as we get ready for that, why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching from your word that allows us to know how we can experience and know more and more and more and more of you. And so, God, through the name of Jesus Christ, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit focused on the triune God, we come before you now. And, God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Receive it as such and these offerings as well to minister to those in need. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.